Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'd like to share with you something um, that the Lord has really used to be a blessing to both of us. Um, You've probably heard this from other missionaries. And I think, I I guess I'm learning that most missionaries would probably say what I'm about to tell you right now. Missionaries are not super Christians. They're not, they're not special people. They're, they're, not a, they're not a higher level of Christian. They're, missionaries are simply people that have been called to do the same thing that all of us are called to do. The location is just different. That's the only difference. Um, and in the, in the last few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I don't remember if I told you the chapter or not, but chapter 1, um, this truth is very, very well uh, stated. But before we get to that, I want to ask you a question, maybe... Um, help you recall back maybe in like your elementary days a long time ago. I remember for me uh, elementary school when we would go out to recess we would play one of several different games typically normally either either soccer or kickball maybe football games that that have two teams two different teams. And most of the time, we had a standard method for determining who was on what team. Maybe it's a method that you're familiar with. We would select two team captains. Uh, maybe one easy way to select the team captains were maybe the, the oldest two people. One team captain would stay, stand over here. Another team captain would stand over here. I think some of you know where I'm going with this. And they would start to take they would take turns. One, uh, one, one person at a time, they would pick from the others who they wanted on their team, picking one person at a time. Has anybody at least observed this method of team selecting? Probably almost everybody. Now I want to ask you a question. If you happen to be one of the last few people picked, does that mean anything? Maybe I'm bringing up some bad memories. <laughs> it doesn't exactly mean that they're saving the best for last, does it? No. No, we all know, whether it's stated in those times or not, the team captains are selecting, first of all, those in whom they have confidence in their ability, right? Now, depending on what game they're playing, they might select different people first. Um, If somebody is decent at handling a soccer ball, uh, but they they couldn't catch a ball if their life depended on it, they'd be one of the first ones for soccer. But if you're playing football, (laughs) they might be one of the last persons you pick, one of the last people you pick. They're selecting based on their confidence in that person's ability. 
But we need to understand something about the way God selects people. He does not select people in the same way for the tasks that he calls them to do. He does not select people based on his confidence in their ability. Not at all. And let's uh, start in verse 26, and we'll see this plainly stated. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So we see clearly that the way God chooses people to accomplish a certain task almost seems contradictory to us, humanly speaking. Choosing the weak things to confound the things that are mighty. The Bible is full of examples of this. And I would like to call your attention quickly to three examples. Um, First of all, I'm turning to uh, Exodus chapter 4. This is talking about Moses, and Moses, at this point in his life, has spent about the last 40 years shepherding, and really, most of the company that Moses has been around for the last 40 years has been a bunch of sheep. Now, prior to that time, you remember Moses' story, He had been raised in Pharaoh's house as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So you can imagine the education that he would have received, the training that he would have received, probably would have been trained in public speaking, would have been trained in all kinds of leadership skills. Uh, There are some that believe that Moses may have been involved in some of the nation of Egypt's military exploits. I think that's very possible during the first 40 years uh, of his life. But do you remember the incident that changed everything? Moses, somehow understanding uh, that he was not Egyptian, and I think at that point in his life, having at least some idea of what God wanted him to do, at least generally, he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And he's thinking, okay, I'm going to be the deliverer. 
He takes matters into his own hands, and he kills the Egyptian. He tries to hide the Egyptian's body. But he finds out very quickly that that act was not done in secret. It becomes known very quickly. Um, And Moses ended up having to flee as a fugitive. He had killed a man, although he had tried to hide it, it was discovered, and he had to flee as a fugitive. Not somebody who had a very good reputation. A fugitive. Then spending 40 years of his life as a shepherd. 40 years is a long time. And no matter what kind of training Moses had had prior to Exodus chapter 4, I'm sure he lost confidence in any of that training, all all that training that he had previously had, because apparently he was very rusty. I mean, he was probably not having much conversation with the sheep for 40 years. Um, Let's pick up in... Verse 10 of chapter 4, the Lord begins to explain to Moses what he wants Moses to do. And this is Moses' response. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. You notice, God does not even contradict Moses' excuse. What Moses said was probably true. After really having no public speaking experience for the last 40 years, uh, I'm sure he wasn't very eloquent. I'm sure he was not a very good speaker. But God doesn't even address his excuse. Really, he, he does, at least he doesn't contradict his excuse, because it was probably true. But that wasn't the issue. Moses' lack of ability, which was very real, was not the issue. God said to him, Go, I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you should say. Um, I'd like to go to another example quickly. Judges chapter 6. During this period of time, the nation of Israel was being oppressed by the Midianites, and it was really a very desperate situation. Their, their crops would, um, would ripen. Then the Midianites would come in and steal their crops. Um, I'm sure many of the Israelites felt like they were facing, start, uh, they were about to starve. It was a very desperate situation. Uh, we find a man named Gideon, and he is threshing wheat by a wine press. Kind of unusual place to do that. Uh, but it was specific. It, uh, we look here and it says it was specifically to hide it from the Midianites. So right away uh, we hear that explanation 
and Gideon doesn't come across as an extremely bold person. Uh, we'll pick up the story in verse 12 of Judges 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of, hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. You look at Gideon, uh, you see him as someone that's not very bold, definitely, but somebody that is weak in faith. Um, you see he, in, in verse 13, he's remembering the things he's heard that God has done for his people in the past. But now, it looks like he has a wrong view of God. He's saying, God has forsaken us. And he says nothing about Israel first walking away from God. His focus is on God has forsaken us. Definitely doesn't have a proper view of God. Definitely not a man of faith here. Also, uh, if we were to read a little bit more, uh, we find a little bit more about Gideon, at least about his family. God ended up calling him to break down an altar to a false god named Baal. Do you remember who that altar belonged to? It was his dad's altar. So, Gideon was actually from an idolatrous family. His dad had his own altar to Baal. Another thing about Gideon, uh, something he says about himself, uh, in verse 15, he says that, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In other words, he's saying, God, I'm from an insignificant family, and I am the least significant member of that family. So you've got Gideon, definitely not a man of great faith at all. Um, he's a man from a, he's an insignificant man from an insignificant family, and he's from an idolatrous family, not a very good family background. But God had something that he wanted Gideon to do. And Gideon's success, if he was going to succeed, had, was going to have nothing to do with Gideon's family background, 
It was going to have nothing to do with Gideon's own personal charisma or ability. God says to him that he will be with him. Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Gideon's success was going to have nothing to do with Gideon. Gideon just had to be available. One other example uh, we'll quickly look at here in the New Testament, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is about the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Unless I should be exalted, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Um, so Paul here is talking about this thorn in the flesh. There's different ideas as to uh, what this was. A lot of people think it had something to do with Paul's eyes. Um, that's very possible. But one thing I think we can say dogmatically is that it was a physical problem because he calls it a thorn in the flesh. And apparently this physical difficulty, whatever it was, Paul thought it was going to be a hindrance to him in him sharing the gospel with people, in him doing what God called him to do. He had this physical difficulty, and it was, it was going to be in the way. And he says that three times he asked the Lord to take it away, But the Lord didn't take it away. His response to Paul was really very similar to response that he had to both Gideon and to Moses. My grace is sufficient for thee. You remember his response to Moses and Gideon? I will be with thee. This has nothing to do with your ability or your weakness, for that matter. All three of these men felt weak, were weak, in different areas. Whether it was a, a mistakes they had made in the past, um, lack, of, lack of speaking ability, uh, lack of personality, lack of uh, leadership skills, um, poor reputation, bad family background, physical difficulty. And you know, I think, I'm sure, every single one of us could list a number of different things that we feel about ourselves individually that seem many times to stand in the way of us being able to accomplish what God calls us to do. But God is not looking, when God calls us to do anything, God is not looking for people that have a lack of difficulties. 
God's not looking for people necessarily of great abilities. God is not looking for people with impressive backgrounds. We could spend a very long time looking at a lot of other examples of people who, who, humanly speaking, were not significant people, but God accomplished great things through them. And for each one of them, it had nothing to do with their ability. God is just looking for people who are willing to trust him enough to obey him. God's not necessarily looking for people that have a great feeling of incredible faith. God just needs us to trust him enough to follow what he's calling us to do and trusting him to work through us. I really believe with all my heart that what God has to accomplish through each one of us individually is greater than we can imagine. Whatever God is calling you to do, it's no less significant than what God's calling us to do. Really, it's not. And for each of us, myself included, if we limit what God Uh, if we limit what we allow God to do through us to what we feel like we're able to do, there's going to be so much that we're missing out on. If Moses or Gideon or the Apostle Paul, if it had come to the point where they they thought, okay, I, I understand what God's calling him to do. I understand what he's saying he'll do through me and for me. But I really don't think I can do this. If they had stopped at that point, I don't think, I don't think we'd even know their names. Because they would have missed out on what God really wanted to do through them. And if we stop at what we feel like we can handle. Rather than taking that step of faith and doing what we know God's calling us to do, even though though we don't know how God could accomplish that through us, if we stop at what we feel like we can handle, there's going to be incredible things that we're going to be missing out on. And it's really going to be robbing God of his glory. The glory that he deserves through each one of our lives. God is not looking for people of incredible ability or background. God is just looking for you and me to be willing to follow what he calls us to do. Even when we can't see how it's going to work. And just trust him to work through us. You don't have to have an incredible feeling of great faith. Are you willing to just trust God enough to follow what he's calling you to do and trusting him to use you? Because that's all that God needs. 
to accomplish great things. And that's what he wants to do through each one of us. Let's have a word of prayer. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.